0: Welcome to Insights, an Amplify original series giving you insights on cultural myths, employee engagement, and why it all matters. I'm Nicole, and last week we ended the show wrapping up the idea of what employee engagement is today and what it means. It's all about the fit between what an employee wants and desires out of the work they do and what they truly need. So with that in place, I want to pivot a bit to talk about how employee engagement has evolved, especially over the last couple of years, and how that evolution has impacted the relationship between HR leaders and the C-suite. To understand this, what better place to start than the beginning? I asked Santiago to take us on a journey to the past, and in his words, before we can talk about where things are going, we have to understand where we've been. So that's where we're diving into today, the evolution of employee engagement.
1: Uh, Many times even children were still working in the workplace. I mean, it was a rougher, rougher time uh, of when really organized labor began to coalesce in meaningful ways after the Industrial Revolution. And what was important at that that point was just basic theories around Frederick Taylor's scientific management theory. And it really studied people and how they did work and what were the most efficient ways to do work. And so this idea of breaking down work into the smallest component parts is is a clear artifact left from those scientific management days. And so what you did is you match workers to their jobs based on capability You monitored their performance closely, and you created policy-laden environments that that controlled all of the risks, that the working conditions were so poor and the work so meaningless of, of turning a screw a quarter of a turn in the right direction a thousand times a day, that the work was so miserable that workers needed to be prodded and almost controlled to do the basic work. I mean, but what's happened in the decades since is that recognition and, and regulation became bigger parts of the work landscape. In 1963, we saw the Equal Pay Act. In 1970, we saw OSHA. In 1990, we saw the Americans with Disabilities Act. And all of a sudden, governments started to include more regulation into work so that it would be more human and and safer and and more sustainable. And what happened with that is that corporations' main takeaway was uh, we need a risk management function around our people. And so it became an exercise of mitigating risk and crafting policies and removing autonomy from decisions so that consistent decisions would be made in accordance with laws so that companies wouldn't be exposed to regulatory risk. And so in this environment, HR began to grow in its early days as a discipline where it was primarily around processing forms because automated systems just didn't exist. Things like doing payroll and administering health benefits uh, and dealing with with employee complaints and at the same time making sure that the company wasn't getting sued and wasn't doing things that put it at significant legal risk. And so HR developed in this context and became very effective at risk mitigation and became very effective at processing cyclical workflows of of tasks that needed to be done. And so basically what has happened is that organizations created employee experiences that they consistently deliver to employees that gave them what they wanted at the time 20, 30 years ago, which was job security, a predictable and safe working environment, and steady compensation and benefits. And organizations generally became very good at consistently delivering this employee experience time and time again. The paychecks were on time. The benefits were delivered to expectation. But now we look at data from Glassdoor that talks about why people join a company or stay at a company. And the first six reasons are non-economic reasons. Compensation and benefits are actually the seventh most important thing now that is most important to somebody choosing to work somewhere. And so what you have is employees desiring primarily a set of non-economic value propositions like career growth and culture fits and senior, authentic senior leadership that cares for people and work-life balance and professional growth and advancement and and flexibility, but employee experiences and and organizations that deliver employee experiences that predictably deliver economic value propositions.
0: Ah, okay. So basically, we went from being cogs in a nicely oiled machine to something more, right? Right. All of the work was focused on conducting a specific set of tasks based on the pre-calculated outcome. The workers were matched based on skill set, learned the skill, and repeated. But over time, many jobs have transitioned from working with your hands to working with our head, calling on the full person to think critically, find efficiencies, and play an active part in moving the business forward. This shift from cog to person has created a new set of dynamics in a new context, driving a change within the human resources function. Rather than risk mitigation and processing, it's more about the people. What becomes important in that new context is this question of how to create systems and cultures that engage the full heart and mind of a person. Based on what Santiago has shared, I'm curious. How do we create a place where we not only structure work to hit company goals and objectives, but in a way that gives employees and workers new and increased opportunities to grow? And for the CEO, how do we create organizations that are sustainable, profitable endeavors while also delivering meaning and fulfillment to the people who are giving so much time and energy? So I asked, and it boiled down to one key concept, purpose.
1: Leaders have begun to, in the past decade especially, that That the employee experience and HR practices and policies that they've developed were wonderful and worked for a world in which people hadn't woken up yet to realizing that what they really needed and wanted wasn't just a paycheck and wasn't just benefits and wasn't just job security. And so what they found is that they had an employee experience that only delivered an economic value proposition and did not deliver of the other non-economic value propositions that's why you really see this explosion just in the past 15 years about this idea of of company purpose right this idea of company purpose came from a realization that people wanted to feel good about what they were contributing to the mission of the organization this is one attempt how how really jim collins pioneering the space attempted to essentially help businesses deliver one non-economic value proposition, which is meaning, which is actually the company exists for something more than profit. It does some amount of good in the world. And now pretty much every single company is either wrestled with and solved or is actively wrestling with what is that for us? How do we give meaning to, to our employees? McKinsey really summed it up well in, in an article that talked about the progression of leadership and management over the last hundred years. And back in the scientific management revolution, the only leadership competency that we had that really been awakened to was this idea of intellectual quotient right iq how do we take a group of people organize them in a way in a process in an assembly line where their labor costs costs less and the the parts cost less than what we sell it for and we have a successful business model because we have the intellect to organize people in a profitable way that we sell their services or their products in a way that makes the company money but then Psychology began to evolve about what people really needed and EQ, emotional quotient, became, became a thing that manage and, management and leaders needed to, to have in a workplace. And now McKinsey says most companies and leaders are not differentiated by having IQ and by having high EQ, right? by having a, an environment that is profitable and works and, and delivers the value proposition to customers consistently and that treats employees with basic respect. That's not enough. What people are looking for is MQ now. And that's really the leadership frontier that we find ourselves at is how do we not only organize ourselves to be a profitable and sustainable business? How do we create a respectful work environment where people are, are, are honored and respected? But now what we have to deliver as company leaders, whether it's C-level, CEOs or on the HR side is how do we create an environment that only makes a profit and that treats people well, but that also helps people Feel a sense of fulfillment and meaning. And many times I talk to CEOs that have been in the craft for decades and they sometimes look at me and say, why is it my job to deliver meaning and fulfillment to people now? Why is that all of a sudden an expectation that I have to deliver? We we didn't have to do that before. People should be getting meaning and fulfillment from the paycheck I give them and how they use it to help their family and, and how they spend it on the weekend. And the reality is that we we have a choice. We can either rage against what is, or we can adapt to what is. We can either rage against reality and fall behind, or we can accept that this is a new requirement and a new rule and a mandate that talent has for the companies that they want to work for. And we can adapt to that, embrace it, and actually become the very best in our industry, in our market at articulating an incredible purpose, and and meaning statement that actually becomes activated inside of an organization and delivers those non-economic value propositions that employees are hungering for. And it's when we do that as leaders that we create an environment where people are willing to and want to and enthusiastically bring in their full emotional, intellectual self and do their very best and happen to stay a long time.
0: So an economic value, of course, is necessary. But there are things outside of making money that matters, and those people who are on the front lines helping the company succeed have to find meaning in their work. So the question for me was how to align the CEO and the HR leader to develop the right foundation, the right values to help their employees find meaning in their work within the company. Enter Eric Christopher and Julie Barker, the CEO and founder and VP of talent at Zylo. Really quick, Xylo is
2: we're an enterprise uh, software company, you know a SaaS company essentially that is helping organizations, uh, large companies that are managing um, hundreds of of subscriptions and SaaS applications and helping them get the most value by measuring what they're spending and what they're u- utilizing and helping get it under control because it's kind of one it's one of the fastest growing. Um, investment categories for most companies is, is, is software.
0: So I asked Eric and Julie to come on the show to share their insights on some of the concepts we've explored with Santiago. One of the questions was under this lens of evolution. While employee engagement has evolved historically, it's interesting to see how companies today envision that evolution in their own organizations and how the HR leader and the CEO can align early on in their relationships.
3: Eric and I had several conversations before joining as obviously for me, I wanted to make sure that I was the right type of leader for this team and where we were headed and, um, you know, the vision of the company. And in those conversations, we talked a lot about values and, you know, what what has been important with building the company, you know, up to that point. And um, one of the things he shared with me was, you know, they, they had values set in place with the co-founders as, you know, they wanted that was really important. And a lot of that rings true, but they also said they were going to evolve those values with the first 50 employees as their perspectives and what is important to them and how you know they've grown within the company was really important to the co-founders. So I thought, what a cool opportunity you know to look at that. And we said we might work on that you know kind of futuristically, but with the high growth and with knowing how critical having those discussions and alignment and what adding to this culture would be. Um, knowing you know what those evolved values are, talking about it with the team was a really important kind of project coming in. So that is something we you know really closely and quickly worked on together?
2: You know, Julie, I'll, I'll start, you know, by I think that when we started the business, we've al- we always, you know, we kind of looked internally at our, at, as we co-founded the business with just a few other employees, you know, just starting and, and we felt like, you know, values and culture are going to be important, you know, um, in the both then and, and in the future. But one of the things we really decided upon was that, we felt like the culture needed to be developed from a critical mass of like our history together, adding new people as we brought in different perspectives and things like that. And so I think we kind of like knew it was important from the beginning, but then we were well under our way, right? Like growing the business and focusing and things like that. And so, you know, that's where Julie kind of came in and spearheaded the idea that, you know, we're going to kind of soon hit a critical mass, Eric, and like, we've got to really drive this forward. So let, let's get a plan together and fig- you know figure out how we go about it. And that's so I think a lot of ways, like we, we kind of started a little bit of like we knew we wanted to do it, but Julie um, in her role was the one that took it from a leadership, you know, executive standpoint to drive it
1: forward.
0: Establishing the company culture with values in mind was at the core of their working relationship from the beginning. But again, going back to some of what we've already discussed, culture is important, yes. But how does an organization prioritize employee engagement with other incredibly important business demands? especially for Eric, who's running a fast-growth tech company.
3: Yeah, so I can talk about how we you know, first started, what that looked like, and then Eric, obviously, feel free to chime in. So what, what we did was I said, okay, you know, let's have anyone – that wants to voluntarily be a part of this team and project team. And, you know, let's look at, you know, who volunteers, what, you know, do we have the right perspectives across tenure and department? And luckily, it was awesome. We got great response. And we had about 10 folks across the business. And, you know, when at that time, we were, you know, probably just over 30. That was a, a good uh, amount of the, the team. And that spanned across, you know, one of the team members who was the first employee outside of co-founders, and a team member who had just recently joined Joined within a month, as well as a, you know, a team member based remotely and across all of our departments. So we really wanted perspective of you know what that looks like across all of our team. And so they were a part of this team that you know we, our our first meeting was everyone putting down their ideas and making sure that everyone came in with perspective of you know what did what did the culture look like today what are things that you know resonated with them and really going through everyone's ideas and perspective and what did they want to see in terms of their team and who they wanted to work with kind of going forward and how we're, how was that going to help enable our growth as a business and we you know jotted down everyone's ideas made sure we heard all perspectives and then we kind of went through key themes And, you know, what that looked like. And then we kind of came back together and I said, this is what I heard. I want to make sure that I'm summarizing that, communicating that appropriately from a leadership perspective so that I didn't just assume, you know, what was heard. And so we we made sure, you know, what that looked like. And then I went back to Eric as knowing that this was really important to him as well from how we're going to grow the business, how we go forward why people want to be at Xylo. And so we talked through that and, you know, I shared kind of perspective, but then he also came back to the team to make sure he also really thoroughly understood from them. If we said we wanted the team's perspective, we had to live true to that and make sure that, you know, what really resonated and what did they mean by certain statements or what did this mean? And being able to go back and clarify. And what I loved is that Eric invested the time to say, this is really important.
2: Um, I mean, she, she kind of laid out the process perfectly, I think, y- you know, relative to, um, you know, making it important. I think what, what's really challenging in doing something like this is like you you need to get it, get something like this accomplished within some time period. You know, like we, we really did want to get this rolled out around employee 50, which we ironically did accomplish that but it's one of those things that, you know, you don't want to like put a false deadline or something or do something unnatural to push out values. I think, you know, I've seen this happen, not necessarily firsthand, but I've heard stories, you know, where it's like, you got to do values because it's like a checkbox or it's like, you know, culture things are like checkbox things. Right. And, you know, for us, you know, I, I, I really wanted something that was going to live and grow for to hundreds, if not thousands of employees and be consistent and be a, uh, be a way that, um, employees can hold themselves accountable and, you know, to their personal growth or to their goals or that sort of thing. And then also the organization can do the same. Um, and so that's the only thing I just say was that, um, you know, it, it wasn't an easy task to sort of stay on a timeline, but then, you know, get a finished result that you're happy with, um, you know, as well. So, um, but I, I think we were able to do it. I think it would have been difficult to really invest the time to get employee feedback in a way that, you know, wouldn't have, for example, um, you know, had me solely focus on this, you know, or something like that, which would have, you know, my role, you know, culture and, and people are a big part of it, you know, at the center part of being a CEO, but there's so many other things that that are priorities of the business that I have to do. And I, I just, I think that honestly, what would have happened is probably would have gotten less genuine feedback and loops. It would have probably been a little bit of an incomplete project and we might, we might still be talking about it right now, you know, is, is sort of the thing. So I think not only getting it done in the execution, that that's part of it, but you know, getting, getting it to a place where I would be comfortable, you know, standing in front of a whole company saying, this is what we're going to believe in for years to come. Um, so I, th- I think that, that follow through and completeness, you just probably wouldn't have happened, um, you know, to the level that it did.
3: I think another important thing to share is like one of the things that early on is the trust and credibility um, with working with each other, because I was able to say at certain times, like Eric, you know, a statement like this comes across this way. And I think this is what you're trying to say. This is what that may, you know, come across as and, you know, vice versa. So I think that is one of the key things in a, a critical project like this is being able to have that openness of, you know here's here's what you're saying, here's how that comes across. And um, I think we have that trust within uh, working through this as well and in, in the leadership team too.
0: One thing they shared is how trust played such a role in their ability to help establish their company purpose and values. But trust is often hard to establish. So I asked them what advice they have to HR leaders and CEOs on how to foster that trust between the two roles.
3: I think there's a couple of things that come to mind for me is – I think one of the things when I say, you know, the process before I joined here was really important. Um, It's a two-way street and Eric had to feel confident in, you know, me being the right leader for Zylo at this time and me being the right counterpart for him. If he feels like, you know, from a a trust and credibility and what I bring... Um, and we go into it that way. Um, that was really important. So I think both of us vetting that a bit upfront, um, is one piece. And then for me, and then, when, you know, in the 11 months that I've been here, um, we've had really open conversations and we've had, you know, some of those conversations that you think, you know, is that, is that we're saying, you know, how do, how do we have that? And I think it's been very open that I know in the long run, any of those conversations are for us to be a better team for us to have a better relationship. And that I know at the end of the day, you know, i you know have that full trust and confidence and you know working with Eric and and that leadership team so i think that is something really important is the vetting up front as well as the building that over time and investing in that up front because it can quickly you know evolve into a relationship you know that again looks different
2: yeah and i would add that i think it's important you know if you're going to build trust i mean i think it's like you we we instill that as one of our you know it's one of our pillars and one of our You know, you know one one of our values, but you know it's also when you think about the HR role in the company, um, especially in a software company, people are are really everything. You know, they're they're what write the code, they're what sell the product, they're you know they're uh, seventy to eighty percent of the cost of the business. You know, all those things, right? It's a it's an important thing, and I think that the HR function needs to be at the table either by you know, the person at the leadership table or the function needs to be represented in some way you know, by the CEO, that it's, that it's really important. So for me, like, I took a lot of advice from mentors that you know, you've got to really you know, take care of people because retention and growth and everything are going to be tied directly to the success of the business. And so I think for me, that's made it, um, just, just me like acknowledging that and really believing that in my heart has made it easier for me to like, respect the opinion of like, Julie, an HR leader, because like that's the, that's going to be like that's Julie's job is to really represent that and be strong about it and, and that sort of thing which which I think giving her like an equal footing with me on the people topic is important
0: now that the foundation of the company values are in place and the company purpose is defined how do we go back then and help our employees find meaning in the work they do and meaning what is meaning the insights on that question will just have to wait Join me next week as we dig into meaning. How it's defined? Who owns it? Is it the HR's responsibility? The C suite? The CEO? Hmm.